Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. Today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts. And uh, as I sat down this week and actually had some time to reflect a little bit, it, it has been quite a journey. I know we're only in the seventh chapter going into the eighth chapter today, but this is the 18th sermon in the book of Acts. It don't seem like it, but it actually is. And You may ask, why would you choose to go through a book of the Bible? It's not, the, it's not everybody's preference. You know, sometimes we like to jump around here and there and stuff. But at, at Rock House, I think we strive to be faithful to God's Word. And as a preacher, uh, I find that I'm more faithful to God's Word if I just go through it in its context instead of jumping here and jumping there. Now, we have take, taken a few breaks from our journey through Acts and, and have hit some topics along the way. And we'll continue to do that as, as that need rises. But for the most part, we want to be committed to being true to what God's Word has to tell us in its context as we go through it. Last week, we looked at this speech of Stephen. Stephen has been arrested. He's pretty much on trial before the Sanhedrin. And he gives an incredible, lengthy, 53-verse-long speech that he really provided no defense for himself in. He basically just began to tell some Bible stories, if you will. And in his telling of these stories, he pointed out a couple of major things. First of all, that God has always been faithful to his people, and he continues to do so. Amen. But he also pointed out that God's people had rejected him along the way, that throughout the history of the people of Israel, the people had pretty well spurned God's faithfulness and God's grace towards them. And then Stephen shifted his focus, and he actually goes on the offense, pretty well attacking the people that are accusing him and getting ready to kill him, as we'll find out. He reveals that his accusers had always resisted the Holy Spirit, that their ancestors had always resisted the Holy Spirit, and they had even went so far as to kill God's very own Son sent for them. Now this week, we're going to conclude chapter 7 and actually move on into chapter 8 a little bit. And today's theme is when persecution comes. And that should sound kind of familiar because if you remember not too long ago, we talked about opposition. And persecution and opposition, I know they sound very similar, but there's a key difference between opposition and persecution. Opposition, if you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, it can occur naturally. We're going to face opposition in life. Sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes life is tough. That's opposition. Persecution, though, is very intentional. Persecution comes at the hand of somebody else. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 7, uh, verse 54, all the way through chapter 8, verse 4. Just a side note, we're going to go through here because originally when Luke wrote this, he didn't put the little numbers in there. That's something that we added later to make it easy to look verses up and memorize things. So we're going to actually go into verse chapter 8 a little bit. Starting with verse 54, Luke tells us, When they heard these things, this is the Sanhedrin, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. Moving on into chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we look once again into what your word has to tell us, God, I pray that our eyes would be open. Lord, that we would hear the message that you have for us. Lord, that you would speak even above what I have to say. Speak directly to our hearts this morning, God. We love you, and Lord, we ask that you be with those around the world that are facing persecution today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk about persecution a little bit this morning. It's really a big deal. And I've got four points about persecution that we can pull from this passage of Scripture. The first is that persecution can come with good intentions. This week I witnessed persecution of a young Christian boy on our travels at the hand of his mother. Uh, she had the best of intentions, but it was just awful for this young man. Every day she would pull him out and she'd lather him up in this toxic lotion called sunscreen. And what's he do? Of course, he rubs it in his eyes every day. It's just, it's blinding, you know. It's terrible. Uh, you know what I'm talking about here. To mama, she had the best of intentions to keep Easton from getting burned. But to him, it's awful, man. It's persecution to get that stuff in your eyes every single day, every 15 minutes of the day. Sometimes persecution can come with the best of intentions. Look at verses 54 through 58. It says, When they heard these things, what Stephen had to say, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he goes on, he says, Look, I've seen the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. I find this fascinating because even after Jesus and what they put Jesus through and all the things they had witnessed with the life and the death and the resurrection now of Jesus Christ and his ascension, the Sanhedrin still didn't get it. They still didn't realize that what they were trying to do wasn't the right thing. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing the righteous thing. They thought that what they were doing was just protecting their traditions, protecting their temple or their church building. They thought that they were protecting the memory and the the honor of their ancestors. They had good intentions, but they were doing the wrong things. 
Kind of sounds familiar. This happens in a lot of churches. I'm not pointing any particular church out, but a lot of times we, we, we read about churches that try to protect their traditions. They try to protect their buildings and their, their resources. They try to protect the memories that they've had in the past. And there's a good way to do that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a good steward of your, your past and your resources and your buildings and all that. But the problem lies when we step over the edge and we, we become spiritual hoarders. We actually take more in than we give out through giving and service and generosity. And the problem actually comes when we stagnate our growth by focusing solely on the past. Someone once said, even a prosperous past can blind us to future possibilities. For example, at one point in history, 80% of the world's watches, except for this one, this is probably made in China, 80% of the world's watches were made where? Not China, not the U.S., not Japan. They were made in Switzerland. At one point in history, 80% of the watches around the globe were Swiss watches. They were the top of the line. They were the very best. Now, less than 10% of all watches are made in Switzerland. At one time, the Swiss took great pride in their craftsmanship. They had the best gears and the best springs and however whatever goes into a watch, I don't even know. But then a novel idea hit the market and they somebody came up with the idea of a quartz watch. And the Swiss laughed at this. They said, man, we've been doing this for, for years now. We've got 80% of the world's market in watches and they refuse to change. Of course, the rest is history. I've got a Chinese watch on this morning. But likewise, at one time in our history, the majority of people attended church on Sunday morning, remember? At one time, the majority of people in our country claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, 90% of North American churches are either in decline or have plateaued or they're just in maintenance mode. Why is this? Because of the same attitude that we see reflected through the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. They stopped their ears when Stephen tried to tell them the truth and they persecuted Christ's church. Next point is persecution can be glorious. Now, you're probably thinking, Tyler, I, did you get too much sun this week, man? What, what are you talking about? Persecution. How is there anything glorious about the persecution of the saints? What could possibly be nice about people suffering for the name of Jesus Christ? It's only glorious in the way that it brings glory to God. Look at verses 59 and 60. It says, They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That should sound kind of familiar. Stephen reflected perfectly Jesus Christ when Jesus died for our sins on the cross. It was horrific. Yes, it was awful. Stephen's death, being stoned to death, is an horrible way to die, but Stephen honored God in the way that he did die. Yes, it was messy, but at the same time, it was beautiful in how he glorified God in his persecution. Sometimes how we serve God, it gets a little messy. I'll be honest with you. I make a lot of messes when I serve the Lord. We think, God, there's no way this is going to be good. There's no way this is going to work. There's no way we can pull off a vacation Bible school. There's no way, God, we can do an Easter house in addition to doing a Christmas house every year. 
There's no way we can feed 200 Californians on Thanksgiving. Sometimes we, we tell God, God, you made a mistake. You should have chose somebody else. That preacher should have asked somebody else to do this. Yeah, it may be messy, but to God it's beautiful. Sometimes, even in our prayer life, it can get a little messy. I've prayed some pretty messy prayers before. Sometimes we just don't even know what to say to God or the right words to, to express to the Lord and what we're feeling or what we need to ask Him for. But I've found that it's in those moments that we're probably our most honest with God. And as messy as it may sound and as messy as it may be, I think sometimes God finds it beautiful. It's like that song says, sometimes a broken hallelujah is just music to God's ears because it reflects a sincere dependence on God. Stephen died reflecting the attitude of Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Just like Jesus did on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. That same attitude is what Saul or Paul later discusses in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul writes, have the same mindset. And I just, on a side note, I imagine when Paul wrote this, he probably still had the burning memory of Stephen in mind. He says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So yes, persecution can be a glorious thing when it reflects the attitude and person of Jesus Christ. But notice the evilness of this man Saul, or Paul B.C. as we talk about. It takes us to our third point, which is that persecution will come against followers of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, to Stephen's death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Think about our lessons up to this point. It's pretty well been the honeymoon phase of the church at this point. Everything's went perfectly. They've grown. They've seen people healed. They've seen people saved. It's been, it's been awesome to see what God's done in this period of the early church. But now persecution comes. You know, we can't really know for sure the number of martyrs around the globe each year. Stephen was the first, but it's still going on today. Some, some estimates say there's about 1,000 Christian martyrs every year. I think that's probably low. Some say there's 10,000. Some say there's more than 100,000 around the globe every year. It's actually pretty hard to figure out. Truth is, we probably don't know. But what we do know is that every single year around the world, scores of Christians willingly choose death over denying or refuting Jesus Christ. Persecution of the saints is a big deal. Hebrews 13.3 says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. We need to remember our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering 
for their faith. We have to pray for those being persecuted. We need to share their stories. We need to hear their stories from time to time to kind of remember what they're going through. They're Christians just like we are. But every day, many are being put to death. The voice of the martyrs share this story with us. They tell us she was 17 years old. He stood glaring at her, his weapon before her face. Do you believe in God? She paused. It was a life or death question. Yes, I believe in God. Why? Asked her executioner. But he never gave her the chance to respond why. Now this scene could have happened in the Roman Colosseum. The voice of the martyrs tell us it could have happened in the Middle Ages. It could have happened in any number of countries around the world today. People are being imprisoned, tortured, and killed every single day because they refuse to deny the name of Jesus. This story, however, did not happen in ancient times, not in Vietnam, not in Pakistan, not in Romania. No, it happened at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado on April 20th, 1999. Pretty close to home. Persecution will come to those that follow Christ. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, he says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, you're probably sitting there, preacher, that's not a very evangelistic message to preach. No, it's not. But we can be encouraged by the voices of the martyrs. Listen to this. Julius Palmer burned at the stake in England in 1556, said this. He said, We shall not end our lives in the fire, but make a change for a better life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung in Germany in 1945, said, This is the end, but for me it's the beginning of life. The Apostle Paul, beheaded in Rome in 65 AD, said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or as the New Living Translation says, For to me, living means living for Jesus Christ, and dying is even better. Persecution will come to those that follow Christ. Last point is that persecution keeps us aligned with God's will. Now this is a difficult lesson to, to try to wrap your mind around, and it's hard to accept sometimes to think that God would allow certain things to happen in order to bring us closer to Him. That's tough. That's tough. But it's not to test our faith. God knows what our faith is. He knows the level and the amount of our faith, how real it is. A lot of times it's simply to prove our faith or to move us in our faith. Remember the story of Job. I, I encourage you to read it in Job chapter 1. I'm not going to take the time to go through that. But Satan wants to tempt this man named Job. And he said that Job's faith was weak. But God allowed Satan to test him and prove how faithful Job really was. Job lost it all. We know the story, but he held on to God. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But what's interesting to me is Job was already in line with God's will. He was a righteous man. But sometimes we're not. And so what's going to move us more? Are we going to be moved when circumstances are off? 
hunky-dory and everything's good, or are we going to be moved when things get a little bit rough and there's a little bit of friction and a little bit of tension in our life? When are you going to remain the same, when all is well or when things start going south? I think we know the answer. Now, let me bring this back into context. Remember the command of Jesus in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They've done that. He says, and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They hadn't done that. They pretty well were successful in Jerusalem and decided to stay in Jerusalem. It's an easy trap to fall into. But now look back at verse 1. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at where? Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. This couldn't get any better. Where are they scattered to? Judea and Samaria. They were scattered to the very next place that Jesus had commanded them to go already. And they simply refused to go because it was so nice in Jerusalem. I believe that the words of Jesus were going to be fulfilled one way or the other in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Whether they did it willingly or whether God had to intervene and allow them to be moved in line with his will. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I want this image of Saul to burn in your mind a little bit. Then it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Notice how Christ's words were fulfilled. This therefore at the beginning of verse 4, it's kind of like the word because. It points to a cause and an effect. Therefore. The effect is that people preached the word of God everywhere they went. In Judea and Samaria, as verse 1 points out. The effect was good, but notice the cause. The cause in this good situation is an evil man by the name of Saul that God used for the good of his will. Sometimes I think God has a pretty unique sense of humor. It's hard to say that God can't use somebody's life to further his will and to advance his kingdom. So many stories throughout Scripture. Saul, or Paul as we later know him, is a prime example. You look around today, <laughs> you see people serving the Lord and you think, man, I never thought I'd even see him in church. Praise God, he's a, uh, a miracle worker. God used a man so far outside his will to put his church, his bride, back on track with his will. So to reiterate about our persecution, persecution can come with good intentions. Persecution can be glorious when it reflects Jesus Christ. Persecution will come against those that follow Christ. And persecution keeps us aligned with God's will. The natural question I've got to ask this morning, because Jesus said persecution will come, and in the face of persecution, what would you do? You know, it's possible, yet highly unlikely, that anyone here today would find themselves staring down the barrel of a gun, being asked, 
if we believe in God, knowing that if we answer yes, it's death. If we say no, it's life. It's possible, but it's highly unlikely. But I want you to realize that this is the same question that we, the world asks us unknowingly every day of our lives. Do you believe in God? Are you a follower of Jesus? And instead of a simple yes or no, we answer them by the way we live our life, by the attitude that we have, the words that we choose to say or the actions that we choose to take. Sometimes we're saying yes. Sometimes we're saying no. What does your life show? Does it show that you know Jesus? That you do believe in Him? That you follow Him? That you trust Him? That you've been redeemed by Him? Or is your life more along the lines of you don't believe? You don't trust Him? Hardly know Him? Do you believe? Pretty common theme around here, isn't it? Do you believe? We may never actually face the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters around the world face. You flip on the news and you see Christians being beheaded on live TV or on the internet. It's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking to know that they're a believer just like me and because I live on a different geographic portion of the earth I get to escape that but every day man they go through it and we have the audacity to sit back and live as if we don't believe I challenge you to examine your heart this morning if you're living like you don't know him you can change that today if you don't know him you can change that today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to come and talk to Him. To change your life. Allow God to change who you are. Let's pray together. Father, it's stories like we've heard today that remind us how real the persecution is for those that claim to be a follower of you. God, I thank you that we're so blessed to live where we live. To experience the freedom that we have in our nation. Lord, we don't have to be too afraid of worshiping you. Of claiming to follow you for our life's sake. But Lord, many times we take our safety and our freedom for granted. And we live a complacent Christian lifestyle, living as if we don't even believe you are who you said you are. And God, I pray that today you would reignite that fire in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be bold Christians. To make you known in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our nation, in this world. Help us to share Jesus. And God, if there's somebody here today that just they don't know who you are, they don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that right now you speak to their hearts, that they would open the door of their hearts and they would invite you in to work in their lives and change them from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.